Once again, y'all, we're back for another episode of Top Notch Sports. This is my podcast. I am Kim Calloway. I'm speaking to you from the office of my home. And once again, I have terrible news. And that terrible news is that the Cowboys will once again not make the playoffs. <laughs> what am I kidding? The Cowboys will not make the playoffs again. Eight and eight. Once again. A disappointing season for a team that had a Super Bowl caliber roster, as a lot of people will say. A lot of people will say that they had a Super Bowl caliber roster and they go eight and eight. Everybody was big on well the Cowboy fans were the only ones that was big on the Cowboys and they was what three and oh, four and oh start the season off. If you follow my podcast, you know, I've always said that the Cowboys had a easy schedule to start the season off. They were supposed to win those games. But I've always said that the Cowboys will always do Cowboy things. And much like Stephen A. Smith, they are in an accident waiting to happen. They're accident waiting to happen. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it next year. The year after that. The year after that. The year after that. The year after that. They've always been an accident waiting to happen. It's not a secret. It's not. So, for everybody that thought that the Cowboys were going to playoffs, I'm sorry to tell you that it will not happen. Talented roster. I'm not going to take that away from them. They are a very talented roster, but they did Cowboy things. And it's time that the Cowboys... Need to get a new coach. Jared needs to give up one of those jobs that he has. GM, owner, come up off one of them jobs. Give somebody else their job, maybe your son. Get more football minds in that organization, and maybe things will turn around. But if he would not do that, the Cowboys will continue to do Cowboy things. Even if they make the playoffs, they'll have an early exit. And I don't want to hear anything. Don't blame the coach. Of course, Garrett does have to take some of the blame because he's coming up with the game plans and things like that, but he can't play for, he cannot play for those guys. He cannot, he cannot, he can't go out there and catch the ball. He can't go out there and throw the ball, run the ball, sack the quarterback, anything like that. But he does have to take some of the blame for this. But I'm done talking about the Cowboys because I'm not a Cowboys fan. I just want to let everybody know that told me that my quarterback was nothing but a running back. He was nothing but a running back, but we are going to the playoffs. 14-2. and Lamarvelous. Lamarvelous. But on to the bigger and better things of this podcast, man. It is the recap of 2019. I'm going to let everybody know what I believe were the biggest moments in sports this year. I'm going to keep it with the NFL, man. Um... Real quick, man. Real quick. Real quick for the Cowboys not making the playoffs. Because some of those Cowboy fans, man. Some of those Cowboy fans make me sick. They make me sick. But back to the recap of 2019. I'm going to start off with the NFL player of the decade, in my opinion. And he is none other than Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady is my player of the decade just because he has been a winning quarterback this entire decade. Of course, he, he's lost two Super Bowls, but other than that, I mean, Brady has not, he has, Brady has always been Brady. Tom has always been Tom. Bill has always been Bill. But Tom, later in his career, I feel like Tom has played his best football. From 2010 to 2019, Tom has played his best football. And it shows, man, just if you watch his quarterback play, his leadership and all of those things and the fact that he has won, he's winning. He's winning titles. You cannot take that from Tom Brady. He is my NFL player of the decade and going on to the next point in the recap of 2019 tom brady and the Patriots win their sixth super bowl defeating the los angeles rams and what was a lower scoring super bowl but still tom and his team found a way to push through and the fact that they have six super bowls he has six super bowls by himself tom has more super bowls than some team organizations then that means something tom brady is a michael jordan of football and we have to respect Tom Brady. I'm not a Patriots fan. You know, of course, a lot of people say if you're not cheating, you you know, you're not trying to win, but at the same time Tom goes out there and he plays football with phenomenal quarterback play. And that's why I highlighted that. And that's why he is the player of the decade. Also, one of the biggest moments of 2019 in my opinion was the rise of Patrick Mahomes. Pat Mahomes did not play his rookie year, not very much. I for one had seen Pat Mahomes on video games. That was it. I didn't know much about Pat Mahomes until 2019, where he just went crazy this year. He had an MVP year. He was the MVP. He is the cover on NFL Madden. Pat had he threw 50 touchdowns, man. I don't think anybody was expecting Mahomes to be as good as he was this year. And, you know, my hat's off to him. He has played amazing football. I think he's going to get better as the years go by. Also, to highlight this year, highlight this season to be exact, Lamar Jackson putting his rookie season in the rearview mirror. If you watch the Ravens this year, it's like the games that Lamar played his rookie year. Of course, he had to get the starting job from Joe Flacco late in the season and didn't play well in the playoffs against the Chargers. All of that is like a distant memory off of what he's accomplished this year. He has the Russian title that he took uh, that that he took from Mike Vick. Mike Vick was the guy that had the Russian uh, title for for a quarterback yards in a season. Lamar has that record now, and you think about all the criticism that he has taken from the playoff game to really from him being drafted to the playoff game. All of that, he can't throw, he can't throw, he can't throw, he can't throw. He's nothing but a running back. He needs to play receiver and all these things, and he's throwing the ball very, very well this year. Like I said once before, if you if you follow my podcast, you know that I have been very impressed with the way that Lamar has passed the ball this year. Of course, he's going to do Lamar things, which is run the ball, but the way that Lamar has passed the ball this year, it's amazing. And he is, in my opinion, the most valuable player this season. But the the highlight of 2019 for Lamar Jackson is the fact that he put his rookie season in a rear view mirror. Next is Antonio Brown. I believe this is a big highlight 
of 2019, the fact that Antonio Brown has pretty much ruined his career as of right now. Didn't want to be in the Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. He goes to Oakland. He's happy, and he says he wants to be in Oakland. And he goes to ruin that as well. He ruined it. Antonio Brown being Antonio Brown, he did Antonio Brown things. And in my opinion, I think Antonio, a lot of people are saying he's changed, and I don't I don't really believe that. I think Antonio is really showing who he really is. He's showing his true colors. Arrogant, selfish, self-centered individual. And all these things, like recently he's come out and said multiple things about the NFL and his former teammate Juju Smith-Schuster, all of these things, and I'm just like, man, when is it going to stop for you? You had a chance in Oakland, had a chance in New England at all places, and you messed it up. He ruined it. He ruined it. And for somebody who's as talented as Antonio Brown, has all the talent in the world to be the best receiver in football, you ruined all of that. You ruined your chances to play football basically to be an egotistical maniac. I just don't understand. And next, for the recap of 2019, what we believe to be a super team in the National Football League, the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns were nothing short. They, they, they were nothing more than a disappointment. Nothing more than a disappointment. You get Odell Beckham up. You know, with the team that you had last year, that was a good team. Baker had a good, Baker had a good rookie season. But I've always said for rookie quarterbacks, once they get film on you, it's tough to be as good as you were. Baker had a great rookie year. Now that's in the rearview mirror. How great he was his rookie year has been overshadowed by what he's done this year. And the Browns, in my opinion, they weren't terrible. They weren't. They weren't terrible, but they weren't good. They were mediocre. They were average. And they missed the playoffs with all that talent on their team. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb. You finally get Kareem Hunt to play. Of course, you got Miles Garrett on the defense end. You got Greedy Williams, who you drafted. Denzel Ward. You got good players. And you can't make the playoffs. Baker looked terrible this year, in my opinion. I did not, I, I did not like the way Baker Mayfield played football this year. I hope that next year is much, much better. But the Browns did not show up. And that's how I see that. And, of course, the recap of also this year is the rise. Once of the 49ers and the Ravens. The rise of the 49ers and the Ravens has been absolutely exceptional this year because I don't think anybody expected either of these teams to be as good as they are right now I love it I'm not and, and I'm not just saying it because I am a Ravens fan but I just love the way that they've played football this year how they've changed the game getting Marcus Peters over there the offense being just almost unstoppable the defense doing defensive things with Earl Thomas Matthew Judon Marcus Peters Marlon Humphrey um my, Michael Pierce, we lose Tony Jefferson, but Chuck Clark has played well. Brandon Carr, they've looked very, very good. Getting Jalen Ferguson, you know, Ty Bowser, 
They've been looking very, very good. And the 49ers, this defense drafted Nick Bosa. You still have a a veteran named Richard Sherman over there. Quan Alexander, Fred Warner, Arik Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Jimmy Ward over the top. They've looked absolutely good. And the offense have done good. I mean, of course, their defense is what's best, but their offense hasn't been average. Their offense has been good. Jimmy G leading the way. George Kittle being George Kittle. After last season, I knew that George Kittle was going to be better and better and better. He's making a claim that he could be the best tight end in football. Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman. Um, the third down back they used most start. First time seeing him was when they played the Ravens, and he looked absolutely phenomenal. He looked very, very good. And, man, they are my favorites to come out the NFC. I'm bought on them, but I'm not completely bought on them. I, I do believe that they are the favorites to come out the NFC, depending on who they will play in the NFC Championship game because, of course, they will have to see a veteran team like a Green Bay, like a Seattle possibly, or a New Orleans Saints team. But right now they are still my favorites to come out of the NFCs. But that's it for the first segment of the recap of 2019. Quick small break, and we're gonna get right back into it with the NBA recap of 2019. And we're back, and we're back for the second segment of the recap of 2019. Man, the next, like as I stated, it was gonna be the NBA recap of 2019. And to get right into it, I'm gonna jump it off with Kawhi goes to the East to dominate. Kawhi Leonard signed with the, I take it back, no, Kawhi was traded to the Toronto Raptors and um, ran through the Eastern Conference. He ran through the Eastern Conference, of course. Giannis was the MVP of that year. We're going to get to that, but Kawhi ran through the East. So that's the only way of putting it. And the way that he did it was just like, whoa. Kawhi's back with a vengeance. And I love that, you know, I love how Kawhi hounded everything. And, you know, of course he didn't want to be in San Antonio anymore for what reasons we don't know. But, you know, the fact that he – I can care less about, you know, oh, the East is weak. That's the only reason why. I mean, but he beat some good guys coming out of there. Giannis um, being one of them. A lot of people weren't expecting him to do, you know – a lot of people were not expecting what that Raptors team did to the Bucks. They weren't they weren't expecting them to do that. You know, Giannis didn't look like what he was doing in the regular season. He didn't look Kawhi shut all that down. He shut it down. He and Siakam shut that down. And you know, as I said, man, Kawhi dominated the East, but next will be the Greek freak in his MVP run. What he did in the regular season was nothing short of spectacular. It was pretty much, I mean, these last few years, these last three seasons, we've seen a rise of the Greek freak. And right now, if you're watching NBA basketball right now, you see that his rise is still continuing, that he's becoming more of a jump shooter. He's making more jumpers. And it's getting very, 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 very scary. Because at times, Giannis is unstoppable going to the rim. He's, he's a great two-way player. I think he's the next best two-way player behind... Kawhi maybe behind PG, but he's he's top two, top three, hands down. But what he did in his MVP run this past year, leading the Bucks to the 
best record in the NBA, putting up great numbers, triple doubles, double doubles, almost night in and night out. Greek Freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo dominated the regular season when it came down to MVP play. The only guy who could at least, you know, be up there with him was, of course, James Harden. Harden was nothing short of spectacular these last two years. Um, he's played great. He he's played great basketball, but the MVP is the MVP for a reason, and it is Giannis Antetokounmpo. And this is a key moment for me in 2019 because this is, to me, this is the rise of a new star. Of course, when we think about the top small forwards in the game, or throughout this decade, or throughout the last five years, LeBron, Katie, Kawhi, you know, we're, we're gonna always think about those guys, but. Giannis going into the next decade is looking to dominate because of course LeBron won't play for another 10 years so who's gonna you know take that torch and in my opinion I believe it's gonna be Giannis Antetokounmpo next will be LeBron's first offseason since 2005 LeBron James did not make the playoffs this past year in his first season with the LA Lakers um which came to be a shock for a lot of people, because LeBron has been to eight straight NBA Finals throughout this decade, throughout and and the year of 2019. If you look at his year in 2018, what he did with that average Cavaliers team, taking them to the you know the finals against that Warriors super team, man, LeBron has been nothing short of spectacular. But to see him not in the playoffs, to watch all these series, it was weird. It was odd. LeBron had injuries going, you know with this past season so this this last year 2019 it was how can I put this besides using the word odd or weird but it was just different it was different not seeing you know LeBron dominate all year due to the injuries and due to you know him with another average young team this time around but as you can see this year they're much better, but highlight 2019, the beginning part of Le for LeBron James is he did not make the playoffs for the first time since 2005. And that's, it's crazy that you, you see how many times he's been to the playoffs, how many times he's been to the playoffs year in, year out. And the fact that he was, he was making the, the, to the finals eight straight years, it just shows how great LeBron James is. But next on the list, the recap of 2019 is that the Warriors super team is over. In the NBA Finals, Kawhi took those guys down. Of course, I truly believe that if KD would have played, if Clay would not have got hurt, I had those guys winning. Even with KD going down, I had those guys going to game six, at least game seven, and the Warriors winning in seven. Um, but with all of that going down, those guys losing to Kawhi and the Raptors. KD making his decisions assigned to Brooklyn. The super team is over. Super team is over. And then you go into this season, you don't have Clay. Of course, you get D'Lo, but Steph breaks his hand. Who knows? If Steph, Steph may sit the entire season out. But the Warriors super team, as we know it, with KD, uh, KD Clay, Draymond, and Steph, it's over. I think uh, that deserves to be a highlight because KD going to Golden State was a shocker for everybody. Nobody expected that. And for him to go there 
and create that legit super team. You know that that legitimate super team with a with a pretty much a starting five full of all stars. To see that go away is like whoa. You know Kawhi. Kawhi put the NBA back where it's supposed to be, where it's pretty much no more super teams. It's more of you have your two. You know. You have your two stars, maybe your one star, and your supporting cast. If you look at NBA rosters right now, it looks similar to how it did <clears throat> 2013 on down. Of course, you had the Miami Heat big three, but other teams, they had their one, maybe two superstars and their supporting cast. But I, me, personally, I'm happy. I did like the Golden State Warriors. I'm a fan of Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and those guys, but I was happy to see that the super team is over. Uh, next on the list, Katie and Kyrie to Brooklyn. Kyrie, we expected him to be in Boston for a while, pretty much to be their centerpiece for a while when he was traded there and to see that, you know, everything in Boston was kind of going down the drain. They wasn't looking good. Playoff exits, you're hearing these things, these, these rumors about Kyrie, you know, basically my analysis of it is that Kyrie is not the best leader. He's not the best leader. He could not lead those young Celtics. Which led to his exit, you know, which led to him leaving, talking to KD. Kyrie is great. We all know that he's a top point guard in the league, but Kyrie has to, in my opinion, has to have that that big brother. He has to have that big he he can't he he hasn't developed and matured enough to be that big brother for a basketball team yet. If he was, he could have did it in Boston. But now that he's you know, parallel with KD, when KD returns, he has his big brother. Katie, just like he had his big brother LeBron in Cleveland. But that is a highlight uh, for 2019. The next is uh, Kawhi and PG to the Clippers. Kawhi had everybody thinking, in my opinion, I was one that thought that Kawhi going to L.A. was probably the best thing for him. And I'm not talking about the Clippers. I was thinking the Lakers. Or I was thinking, oh, Kawhi's going to go back to Toronto, they just won a title. They still have a good team. Why not? But Kawhi faked us all out. Went to L.A., but went to the Clippers. And going to the Clippers, he let them know, I'm not coming unless you get another star here. Go get me PG. PG request, immediately requested a trade from Oklahoma City. And if you know about PG and Russ and OKC, early exits. So why not? They're both California guys. He immediately goes to it. Let me get that trade. They make it happen. And now you have your two superstars in LA for both teams. You got um, LeBron and 80 and then you got Kawhi and PG. But that right there, getting that news early, 1.32 o'clock in the morning where I'm at, when I got that news, man, I'm talking about a jaw dropper. Two of the best two-way players on one team, and then you factor in they have Pat Bev, Montrez Harrell. I mean, that's a great, great team. That that is a team that has their two superstars and a great supporting cast. And from from the moment that I got that notification, I'm like, man, basketball is back. The power has been balanced. You know, Kawhi restored power. And next on the list is AD to LA. 
if you look at the last two or three years, you know the AD has been wanting to win when he was in New Orleans. It just wasn't happening. They had plenty, plenty of opportunities to build around AD, get him some help, get him not not even another star, just get him somebody that can compete with him, that can produce with him, and they failed to do that. Therefore, leading to 81 to exit. And he got his wish. He wanted to go to L.A. He wanted to play with LeBron. LeBron wanted 80. And it happened. 80 got traded to the Lakers, and now we're looking at their two, you know, those two leading the way, which is great. But that is a highlight of 2019. And, of course, another highlight is the one last dance for Dwayne Wade. His last season in the NBA, I was hoping to see a playoff run. They were very, very close, but couldn't couldn't quite get there. But, you know, Dwayne being my favorite player, uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I hate to not see him playing basketball, but, you know, I enjoyed seeing his final year in the NBA. You know, he's been the best, you know, two-guard, in my opinion, for a long time. Uh, in my eyes, Dwayne is an underrated defender, in my opinion, one of the best shot. He is the best shot-blocking guard in NBA history and to see him walk away from the uh, sport, you know, feeling, you know, seeing him play, feeling like, you know, D-Wade has, he still has something in the tank. He still has, in my opinion, a lot in the tank to, you know, deliver for teams night in and night out. But, you know, when you know, you know, and he felt like it was time for him to walk away. Same thing with Dirk. Of course, Dirk has been in the league a lot longer, but Dirk changed the game. Nobody can take that away from Dirk. He changed the game. He was pretty much one of the first stretch bigs for years. Dirk has changed the game to where everybody, you know, bigs want to come out to the perimeter. Now, Dirk was that guy, you know. Uh, Dirk took down Miami in their first year. Dirk has a Hall of Fame career, uh, career much like Dwayne Wade does, so, you know, nobody can take that away from Dirk. But it it did sting a little to, to know that not only Dwayne was calling it a career that Dirk was as well. And lastly, for my NBA segment, we're going to take another small break after this, is uh, my NBA player of the decade. Much like my NFL player of the decade, it's not hard to, you know, choose. And it's LeBron James. No doubt about it, it is LeBron James. Eight straight NBA finals. He's won three NBA titles. I don't want to hear anything about, oh, but his finals record is 3-6 and six and, all these th- and all these things. Stop it. Stop it. LeBron James has been the best player in the league for majority of this decade. For majority of this decade. For in my opinion, I still consider Kobe the top guy from 2010 and 2011. But 2012, LeBron won his first NBA title solidified. This is my league now. And with that, we've seen Kobe's decline a little bit. Of course, Kobe got injured late in his career. Kobe was never the same. But LeBron James won the back-to-back NBA titles. Going up, you know, going back to Cleveland in his second year back in Cleveland, he gets the NBA title against arguably the best team of all time, the 7-3-9 Golden State Warriors. Come back from 3-1 down in the NBA Finals, the only man to ever do that. Why, you know, why would you think anybody else is better than LeBron throughout this decade? He's taken on this Warriors super team, you know, despite him losing. LeBron has been amazing in his 15th year half, probably his best year and his last year in Cleveland. In my opinion, I believe, you know, he was MVP that year. But his team didn't have the best record, so of course they're not going to give it to him. But LeBron James was my MVP for 2018. But 
as far as him being the fighter, you know, excuse me, the player of the decade, it's no question. It's no question. LeBron has been absolutely phenomenal throughout this entire decade, and that is why he is my NBA player of the decade. All right, getting back to y'all with the next segment, which is a boxing uh, segment of this episode. And a lot of people who really know me know I enjoy talking, of course, sports, period. I enjoy talking basketball. I enjoy talking football, college basketball, college football, with people who really know their information. But, you know, for years, for you know, that's all I could talk about with certain people because a lot of people didn't understand the boxing or the MMA sport or a lot of people didn't know enough about that sport to really just talk to me about it but you know being able to talk to people who know boxing know MMA is very very interesting to me and you know it keeps the conversation going longer you know when I talk with those people and uh, for you guys who are you know wondering why I'm doing you know the NFL player of the decade NBA player of the decade um, I'm next. I'm, I'm I'm getting to my father. Other decade is because, of course, this is a recap of 2019, but this is also an end of a decade, the start of a new one. So to get right to it, my father. Other decade is none other than Floyd Money Mayweather. Different from my other two, this one was a little bit tough to choose. I know a lot of people may not even agree with me on that. How Floyd didn't fight throughout the entire decade, or you know, probably some people may just don't think that Floyd deserves it. I for one do. Um, not because he's my you know my favorite boxer. That's not the case. But I've studied and watched Floyd's career, and really throughout this decade, Floyd's you know Floyd's resume you know that sticks out to me. A lot of people may think Manny Pacquiao is a fighter of the decade because he's still fighting now. He's a champion now, which is great. But when you really think about it. Manny took a big crushing loss to Juan Manuel Marquez, a knockout loss. I do not believe he lost to Timothy Bradley in that first fight, but he did. It happens. He lost to Floyd Mayweather. He lost to Jeff Horn. Manny is not my father of the decade. Of course, he did hit a resurgence. He defeated um, Lucas Matisse. He did defeat Keith Thurman. But that is just not enough. You know, of course, Manny also has some other great wins um, throughout this decade. But he's not my father of the decade. Floyd is. Floyd in 2010 defeated Shane Mosley in a fight where he got rocked. A lot of people haven't seen Floyd get rocked. If you haven't, watch the Shane Mosley fight because Floyd was in trouble in the second round. A lot, I, I believe all judges scored that fight. The first two rounds for Shane. Maybe the second round for sure for Shane. But after that second round, Floyd didn't lose a round. He did not lose a round. He completely shut Shane out after that. Outboxing him. Shane just, I mean, and when you think about that fight, Shane is coming off a win, of, uh, a win off of Antonio Margarito where everybody was saying this is the best that, that Shane has looked in years. But when Floyd beats him and makes it look very, very easy, it was easy work, Shane's too old. Now these excuses are coming up on, on, on why Floyd was able to beat him. I didn't buy into that. Shane did look his best, you know, with that win against Antonio Margarito. 
Floyd, shut that down. Anybody who comes to the top, Floyd was always that guy who was going to knock him right back down. He did that to Shane Mosley. Next, in 2011, he took some time off. He fought Shane in May of 2010. Did not come back until September of 2011 to take on the WBC champ, young, hungry Victor Ortiz. And a lot of people saying, whoa, Floyd's not taking it easy for his first fight back in a long time. And in that fight, he made it look easy as well. If you haven't seen that fight, go check it out. Floyd was out boxing the young guy. He had his moments. He obviously Floyd was making him frustrated. I believe throughout the entire fight, Victor was trying to rough Floyd up and you know, driving with his head, using his head to you know, putting his head in Floyd's chest, putting his head in his neck up under his chin. He was fighting dirty, and those dirty tactics caught up with him after he headbutted Floyd. He ended up getting knocked out. It is what it is for anybody who says Floyd took the cheap way out. Protect yourself at all times. 2012 and a great, great fight against Miguel Cotto. Cotto gave him everything he had. Um, I commend Floyd for fighting Cotto at 154 where he was much more comfortable. Uh, I commend him for that. Cotto put up a great fight. Um, winning rounds against Floyd, you know, within those middle rounds, six, seven, eight, you know, those were rounds that Cotto was really winning. And Floyd had to, you know, turn that momentum back. Uh, I do believe that Cotto... Start to fatigue, but you know Floyd showed that composure and that champion mindset to really come back and 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 still win that fight. In uh, 2013, his first fight was Showtime. It was easy work against Robert Guerrero. Floyd made it look easy. He got boxed that man all 12 rounds. Probably could have probably could have finished Robert if he didn't you know hurt his hand in that fight. And uh, the big fight, uh, 2013 as well. He fought twice in 2013. The Canelo Alvarez fight, where everybody was saying this could be the fight that, you know, either Floyd loses or he touches the canvas. I, for one, believe it could be a chance that Floyd could touch the canvas in that fight, but it did not happen. Instead, Floyd made it look easy against Canelo Alvarez. He took Canelo to school from round one through round 12. Canelo, I mean, Floyd made it seem like Canelo didn't deserve to be in the ring with him that night. And everybody wants to make the excuse that Canelo was too young and that Floyd should come out of retirement and fight him now or Floyd should have fought him in 2014, 2015. Everybody, including his promoter, Oscar De La Hoya, and all those guys, hyped Canelo up, including his fans, hyped Canelo up to be so great. He was the one to beat Floyd Mayweather, and Floyd stopped the hype train, ended his undefeated streak. Boom, there it is. I love Canelo. I love him. I, be, I believe he's a great, great fighter. Um, But he could not beat Floyd Mayweather. I, I still don't think he can beat Floyd Mayweather. And uh, for Floyd's next fight, his next two fights, it was a rough, tough, rugged Marcos Madonna who gave Floyd everything he could handle. Floyd, once again, showed that composure, the champion's mindset, the champion mentality to find a way to win. In both of those fights, they were tough fights. We all know, I don't think anybody expected Maldon to do what he did. He was a big underdog in those fights, but, man, did he take the fight to Floyd. Floyd found a way to win in his last fight in 2015, defeated Andre on what was easy work, and, of course, he came out of retirement defeating the ultra-popular Conor McGregor. And that's why Floyd is my father of the decade, because Floyd did it all, man. You know, Floyd was pretty much untouchable. Floyd made it. Made everybody easy work. Your favorite father 
when they were matched up against Floyd, it was tough. It was tough to beat him. But on to more awards of a boxing man. Uh, the upset of the year, in my opinion, is Andy Ruiz defeating Anthony Joshua in June of this year. Taking that fight on short notice, I don't think anybody expected Ruiz to beat Joshua. Joshua, in a lot of people's eyes, was the king of the heavyweight division. And Andy Ruiz threw a monkey wrench in that. Of course, uh, Joshua did come back uh, in a rematch to defeat Ruiz. Hats off to Joshua making it look easy, but Ruiz definitely gets the upset of the year, in my opinion. Knockout of the year, in my opinion, once again, if you have your own knockout of the year, upset of the year, please let me know. Uh, I would like to know. Uh, I'm going with uh, Deontay Wilder flattening Dominic Brazil in round one in May of this year. It was bad blood going to this fight. Wilder said that he was going to go down. And, man, did he unload the cannon of a right hand on Dominic Brazil in round one to end the night. Quick, easy work. And I still believe Wilder may be the best at, at heavyweight. He's the best at heavyweight. But he is, in my opinion, the winner of knockout of the year. Fight of the year. It's Canelo Alvarez. I don't think anybody could, you know, pretty much touch Canelo about what, you know, with, with, with what he did this year. Um, defeating Danny Jacobs. A lot of people felt that Jacobs was a real, true, big middleweight that would give him trouble. And Canelo made it look easy. He made it look easy. Uh, Danny was missing a lot. He outboxed Dan, uh, Danny. Danny had small moments, but he made Danny very gun-shy with his defense, and he, he pretty much controlled the entire fight. And, you know, he, go, he went on to defeat Sergey Kovalev at like heavyweight, knocking him out. Canelo had a spectacular 2019, and that is why he's my fighter of the year. But um, also some key moments that happened in 2019 as well in the boxing community, in the boxing world. Earl Spence became the unified welterweight champion, defeating Sean Porter in September. Of course, he did defeat Mikey Garcia earlier this year, but his highlight. In my opinion, of course, is defeating Sean Portland, uh, becoming a unified welterweight champion. Can't wait to see what Earl has in store for us in 2020 when he gets back, and he will be back. Also, um, the bad blood fight between Jamel Charlo and Tony Harrison. Jamel getting his revenge uh, in the 11th round with a stoppage. I did pick, you know, Jamel to knock Tony Harrison out, and uh, he did. Um, very, very impressed and proud with that. Um, performance by him tony as well uh tony tony took the fight to jamil he tried to out dog the dog but it didn't work uh also shout out to jamal charlo the bigger twin um on you know staying the wbc welterweight i mean excuse me the wbc middleweight champion hoping that you know he gets those big fights that he wants in uh 2020 um uh, the 160 uh the 168 pound division super middleweight is still on fire man anthony Durrell. Uh, lost his belt to David Benavidez, but you know he's still uh, he's still in my opinion the top dog in that division. You got Caleb Plant, Callum Smith, of course David. You know, 168 showed us a lot this year. You know, they showed us that they are you know one of the top divisions in boxing. So look out for that division in 2020. Look out for those fighters as well: Anthony Durrell, Caleb Plant, Callum Smith, and David Benavidez. And uh, that's, you know, that's it for the boxing recap of the year. And the last recap of the year will be my Mixed Martial Arts UFC uh, um, recap of 2019. And uh, let's get right into it right after this small break.
All right, so the last segment of this episode, man. And uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for supporting me throughout this year, 2019. I I used this year to kick off my podcast just a few months ago. And uh, for, you know, these last few podcast, you know, these last few podcast episodes, the numbers have have really increased. Um, I wish that they could be better, but it's better than nothing, man. You know, I went from one to two you know, viewers or listeners to, you know, jumping up to nine and 10. So, you know, I want to thank you guys for, you know, continuing to show me support for the people that, you know, spread the word about my podcast. I mean, I thank you guys. <clears throat> I hope you guys had a, had a blessed 2019 and I hope that 2020 is better for you guys. And um, with that being said, let's get into the last segment of this episode, man. It is my UFC recap of the year and we're going to start off with the fighter of the year this year it this one was tough as well you know I, I think it's very tough to choose fighter you know fighters who dominate throughout you know a year in combat sports but the boxing was pretty tough you know choosing the fighter of the year the fight and the fighter of the decade same thing with you know the UFC but I chose Jorge Masvidal game bread who fights it 170 pounds is the UFC welterweight limit. I chose Masvidal just off, you know, him resurrecting his career. You know, he's been on the end of some split decision losses that could have went his way. And for somebody so, you know, so talented who's been who's been in the game for a long time, for him to really just just take the UFC by storm and 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 and, and becoming this star. He's my father of the year. You know, a lot of people may say Henry Cejudo, two-weight world champion, champion at flyweight, champion at 135. He started the year off in a, with a bang, knocking out TJ Dillashaw in under a minute. And TJ was juiced up for that fight, and he still finished him. He defeated Marlon Moraes to win the Bantamweight title. But those were his only two fights. Um, Cejudo is not my father of the year. Um, some people may choose style bender Israel Adesanya. Adesanya had a great 2019. He's had a great start to his UFC career. Um, that great fight with Kelvin Gastelum, winning the interim middleweight title, going to fight Rob Whitaker, dominating him, finishing him. Style bender had a great 2019, but I, you know, I feel like we pretty much expected him to get a title shot this year. The way that Game Bread took over the UFC this year was amazing, and it and, and it gets into you know one of the key points of the recap of 2019 is the rise of Jorge Masvidal. He started the year off knocking out Darren Till in his backyard of Liverpool, England. If you follow mixed martial arts, if you follow UFC, you know Darren Till is a big welterweight with true skill, true power, and he's the young, hungry line of that division. Till was just coming off his first loss to Tyron Woodley in a title fight. So, a lot of people seeing that Masvidal has taken a lot of time off, nursing some injuries. He's coming back to fight Darren Till out of all people in his backyard. Nobody was giving Game Brother a shot. But he said to himself that, I'm coming to take souls. I'm coming, taking, I'm, I'm coming to take heads off this year. And that's exactly what he did. Masvidal went on to KO Darren Till in his hometown in the second round. And then to go on after that, he's matched up against the undefeated 
Ben Askren, who just got signed to the UFC, Askren is doing all this talking, and you know it's turned to a you know a big fight. A lot of people are ready to see this fight. And Gamebreak goes out there and he starches Askren in five seconds with a flying knee. I mean, he shook the whole world up with this knockout. He shook the whole world up with this knockout. I mean, it was amazing. Askren was stiff as a boy as soon as the knee landed. Everybody, I mean, social media was in a blaze after Masvidal KO'd Askren. And it, it just, it, it took him into a, a completely different atmosphere. He was in the stratosphere after knocking out Askren, undefeated guy, doing a lot of talking, a lot of barking, and... I mean, he put him out, man. I mean, he was a man of his word. He did that. And uh, that led to him getting matched up with Nate Diaz in a BMF title fight. Diaz is a fan favorite. He came back after, you know, a long layoff, two-year layoff, defeating Anthony Pettis. And Diaz went on to call out Game Bread. He said, you know, he's the only gangster in this game besides myself. But, you know, he's, you know, he's no West Coast gangster. And that set up the BMF title fight, and Game Bread went in there and dominated Nate. A lot of people who who know Nate Diaz, you count him out, he'll prove you wrong. They, you know, they count him out against Michael Johnson. He went on a call like Conor McGregor. He gets the McGregor fight. A lot of people still count him out. He beat Conor. A lot of people are going to learn not to count out Nate Diaz. But this time around, man, Masvidal was a beast in the ring. Elbowing Nate, giving him some hard shots, head kicking him. I mean, cutting him up, blistering him up, big shots, hurting him to the body with hard body kicks, and then the fight ended up, the fight ended up being stopped by a cut. Uh, the doctor didn't want Nate to continue. Of course, Nate is a warrior; he's gonna want to fight. But man, we all didn't see it. You know, we all didn't want to want that fight to end that way. But you can't take away the performance of. Game bread Masvidal that night. He dominated Nate. Made Nate look like a just a punching bag. He brutalized him out there, and you know that's why he's my fighter of the year. Those are you know the you know his rise is a key point in 2019. And stand with the welterweight division and the next key point and the next recap of 2019 is that it's a new sheriff in town at 170 pounds. Kamaru Usman went out and dominated the champion Tyron Woodley, who's coming off of a big win over Darren Till. He finishes Till, who was undefeated at the time by Darsh Choke. Dominated Till. He's I mean he knocked out Lawler. He beat um he beat Damian Maya. He beat Steven Wonderboy Thompson. Woodley's looking like that top guy. Everybody was ducking Usman at the time. Usman felt like he was being ducked. He finally gets that title shot. And he went out there and dominated Woodley for five rounds. Five rounds as a new sheriff in town. It was no doubt. He left no doubt in anybody's mind. I'm the best at 170 pounds. Then he goes on to have a fight of the year candidate against his heated rival. Bad Blood was going into this fight. Kobe Covington. Man, was that a great fight. I mean, it was a great year for Kamaru Usman winning the belt and, and knocking off Kobe Covington. He is highlighted for his rise as well and taking over 170 pounds. Eager to see what's next for him in 2020. Will we get that Masvidal fight? You know, will he get a rematch with Leon Edwards? Who knows? But as a new sheriff in town at 170, 
His name is the Nigerian Nightmare, Kamaru Usman. Lastly, Israel Adesanya conquers Robert Willeker. Like I said, man, he was one of my choices for fight of the year. Israel had a great, great year, but it was capped off by him defeating the middleweight king, Robert Willeker. He made it look easy, man. He made it look easy, out striking him, just picking him, picking Robert apart, and finishing him, finishing Robert in the second round, man. Israel is the middleweight king. Who knows how you know twenty twenty is gonna play out, but he most definitely gets a spot on my lineup as one of the, you know the key points in two thousand nineteen. Next is the rematch at heavyweight DC Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. Stipe had been won this fight, did not take a fight until he got that rematch. Of course, Cormier is coming off his last uh, fight, his last win, which was over Derrick Lewis. And if you recall, man, he starts Stipe in that first fight. Starts him in one, knocked him out, became a two-way world champion in his rematch. It didn't disappoint. DC was having his moments. Stipe having his moments. DC, 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 and then Stipe makes the great adjustment. If you guys recall... When I covered this after the fight happened, I recalled that it was a great adjustment by Stipe, and it just turned the momentum of the fight drastically. He started to rip a left hook to the body on DC that slowed him down. It brought DC's hands down. That left hook set up the right hand over the top, and he ended up finishing DC in the fourth round. It was magnificent to see Stipe take back his heavyweight crown. I am eager to see the, the trilogy fight in 2020, which will most likely be Cormier's last fight. But, man, Stipe gets a spot on my list, along with DC, for putting on a great fight towards the beginning of this year um, with their um, with their heavyweight title rematch. Next, John Jones is still the champion at 205. He's dominated everybody who's coming his way. Of course, John has his issues in and out, you know, in and out the octagon, but it doesn't change the fact that he's a king at 205. He's a king at 205, man. I can't wait to see how the fight plays out with Reyes come 2020. But, man, John defeated Gus to start the year off, which was probably, you know, arguably his toughest fight. A lot of people didn't give John that fight. I didn't think John won the first fight against uh, Gus, Alexander Gustafson. But, man, did he just turn everything around. He turned everything around in that rematch, made it look easy. Defeating him, he defeated the brute of a man in Tiago Santos who was knocking everybody out with big power, but he got through Santos. I mean, John is a king of 205. He's been the king of 205 for the majority of this decade, man. And, of course, as I stated earlier, Cejudo reigned supreme. He had a good year as well with those two big title fights, uh, becoming a two-way world champion, you know, take, you know, raising his stock on the pound-for-pound pound list, raising his stock as, you know, one of the greatest fighters to do it. And uh, another one is Khabib still runs 155, man, after his big win over Conor um, in October of 2018. He had to, had to get past that suspension and things like that. He came back to defeat, uh, you know, the rising Dustin Poirier. Poirier, who's looking great this year as well, looked great in his last two years. Made it look easy against Dustin. Choked him out in Abu Dhabi. And, you know, Khabib is a guy who runs he, – he's a guy who runs – 155. Once again, man, I'm eager for another fight in 2020. The UFC never disappoints in 
in their fights, in their matchmaking. I really hope this fight happens. It's been, uh, I believe this is the fourth or fifth time it's been booked. He uh, being Khabib and Tony Ferguson. Man, I'm, I, I can't wait to see that fight. Want to see if, you know, Khabib can really beat Tony or if Tony's a guy to beat Khabib. But 2019 was still a year of Khabib at 155. And um, next is the Blessed Express. Max Holloway goes down. Alexander Volkanovsky put a halt to the Blessed Express, beating Max in the last UFC card of the year, UFC 245, by unanimous decision. Who knows what's next for Max? Does he get that rematch with Volkanovsky? But 2019, we've seen, we, we seen the end of the Blessed Express. He did lose to Dustin at 155, but his belt wasn't on the line. He moved back down to 45 to face the legit, true, number one contender, Alexander the Great, Volkanovski. Volkanovski, he, I mean, he showed up, man. He showed up. He had a great game plan, and he he stopped the Blessed Express, man. And still, of course, Amanda Nunez is the women's MMA GOAT, man. Once again, she wins to end the year as well, defeating Jermaine Durandamine. Nunez is the best women's mixed martial artist in the world right now. That still stands. Eager to see what 2020 holds for her. Who can beat her is the question. Can anybody really beat Nunez? And we'll have to wait and see. And lastly, I'm going to end the recap of 2019 with my father of the decade for the UFC. This one actually was not a hard choice because you look at 2010 to 2019, despite what he did outside of the ring, Nobody was better than John Jones. Of course, there were names to choose from to really just, but when I really sat down and, and, and put some thought into it, GSP retired in 2013. He came back for one fight and that was it. But, you know, beginning of 2010, you know, 2011, 2012, GSP was that guy. Same thing with Anderson Silva. They, you know, those were the guys, but John was beating everybody convincingly. He beat. Shogun to win the title, became the youngest world champion. He beat Rampage Jackson easily. He beat Le he beat Leola Machida easily. Rashad Evans, Chell Sonnen, uh, Vitor Belfort. He had you know of course a tough fight with Gus. He beat DC twice. I mean, nobody was better throughout this decade than John Jones, and John Jones is the only champion to still stand since 2010. Of course, he got the belt stripped. But all those other guys, if you go find that picture of, I think it was a champion's panel that, that they had in 2011, it was John Silva, uh, Cain Velasquez, GSP. Um, I believe it was Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo. And at that time, I, I believe Frankie was a champion at lightweight. All those guys lost their belts in the octagon. John never lost his never lost his belt in the octagon. That's why John Jones is the father of the decade because he's beaten the top competition, beaten the, you know, the solidified number one contender plenty of times and did it easily. Easily. And that's why John Jones is my father of the decade. Once again, man, I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Thank you guys for showing me support and I pray that all you guys have a blessed 2020. Thank you guys. 2020, we're going to keep the ball rolling, man. Next segment will be me and my brothers, Jadarian Calloway, Rashad Calloway, hopefully Cameron Aubrey as well. We're going to send, you know, 
send some good good energy going into 2020. We're going to kick it off with a nice podcast. Hopefully, get to record that one as well. We'll be posted on my YouTube page, but that will be the next big podcast episode, man. So be on the lookout for us, man. It's going to be fun. But thank you guys, man.